Welcome to another inspirational message from City Life Center Church. If you are ever in the area, come visit one of our services. We would love to meet you. Enjoy the message. Open your Bibles up to John 3.16. Now, I know some of you are going, I don't need to open it up to John 3.16 because I already know. No, no, you need to open it up because you're going to see it a little bit later. Hold your place. I'm going to read that near the end of the message today. Today we're talking about, continue to talk about this adventure highway, pursuing our destination, Jesus, on that narrow road, the ancient path, the good way, this, this road that brings peace to our minds and emotions. But here's the truth. On your adventure highway of following Christ, you are going to go about some unpredictable twists and turns. You will spend time in the backcountry. And that's what this series is about. It's about navigating the backcountry because it's where you just don't know what's around the next bend. And that's where surprise storms, uh, stupid mistakes or fear or other things can just cause you to freeze up and like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and you can't freeze up. You can't give up. Today I'm talking about making stupid mistakes. Have you guys ever made a stupid mistake? Hey, I've made them. I mean, I, I do. You know you have. I have plenty of them. And we're going to talk about those. But the truth is, is that if you make stupid mistakes when you're in the backcountry, it can be deadly. So that's what we're talking about today. Thank you so much. You know, I, I, I shared with this with you that I've taken four separate trips to the north rim of the Grand Canyon. It's very remote there. With my three sons, I've, I've taken uh, them on private, uh, like a rite of passage trip when each one of my sons turned 12. But then later on, actually in 2013, I took all three of my sons, the four of us went together on, on an extreme trip because when they were 12, you can't do quite as much extreme stuff. But as they're adults, I just say, let's go for it. And so we went back there to the North Rim of the Grand Canyon. Uh, the North Rim is actually on what's called the Kaibab Plateau. It's about, a, you, you camp at 8,300 feet. If you don't understand what that means, you're basically on the top of a mountain. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the elevation uh, as you overlook one of the uh, seven great wonders of the world, most, the most famous, the most popular of those, of the natural wonders of the world. And I tell you guys, it, the North Rim, it's an amazing place to be. It's a wonderful place to be, but it's also a horrible place to be, as I shared with you last, uh, last week about the surprise snowstorm that Devin and I faced when we were there uh, during the summer. But, but uh, what happens around there, and especially when you get into the backcountry, is that people die there. Uh, people who, especially people who hike the Grand Canyon backcountry, you're, you're advised about this, that you are actually significantly increasing your chance of death. And, and most of the deaths happen because, the vast majority of them happen because of just stupid mistakes. In uh, 2013, we had planned this. We'd actually uh, been planning it for about, about nine or 10 months. That was the extent of the planning time to get ourselves ready for this extreme trip that the four of us were going to take. And, and when we took this extreme trip, I'll just be honest with you, it was definitely the most physically demanding experience of my life by far, by far. But really to be ready for something like that, you have to have the right equipment. And, and I brought some of the equipment that we had on that trip. And, and one of them are, are the boots. You, you've got to have the right hiking boots, guys, ladies. It's just, you just don't go to a Payless shoe store and you're going to go pick up some, some nice little shoes and wear them out into the backcountry. It won't work. It won't work. You're not going to wear your, your Keds. You're not going to wear your Converse. It's, it's, it isn't going to happen. Uh, don't wear your Nikes. I don't care what you think. It's not going to, see, you, what you have to do is you invest in the right kind of hiking boots 
that's going to give you the right kind of support and that's going to do all the right things. And once you research and start finding out about it, you're realizing you're going to have to pay about $250 to $300 for the boots at least. Uh, and when I saw the prices on all of this and knowing that it was an essential for the type of trip we were taking, I, I realized that, uh, that I was going, I, I just thought, well, I don't like buying anything at full price anyway, so we're going to find ways around it. And I spent months looking for the deals and I was actually able to buy all four uh, pairs of, of hiking boots uh, for, for you know, around, uh, around $100 a piece, which is pretty good. So I saved, saved me a chunk of change, maybe five to $800, saved that just on, on that. But, but uh, uh, we weren't cutting corners though on this. We weren't gonna cut corners because you gotta have the right boots for this. Um, they're, they're, there's a lot that goes into the, the, the walking part of it, which I'll tell you more about that later. Speaking of the walking part of it, another thing you, you have to have in the backcountry, you absolutely have to have trekking poles. Uh, trekking poles are standard trekking poles. This is, a, this is a little different, but this is, this is very representative of navigating the backcountry. This isn't what I actually used, but, but you have to have two trekking poles, and that keeps you, keeps you stable. Uh, you, you need them. It's not just a little, little luxury. It, it's a necessity. And, uh, and like here, you see there's, this, the, you know, there's the city version of the trekking pole, which has the little deal on it. But if you're really in the backcountry, you know, you have the little part that you dig into the ground because this creates stability. And, and, uh, and I, 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 these, things, these things help save my life when I was coming out of the Grand Canyon especially. Uh, sometimes you, you're up there and you're, the, the, uh, the air is thin and your head gets a little bit light and you start to wobble and you don't want to wobble when you're at the edge of the Grand Canyon because that's where you are uh, for a lot of the journey. And there's other things you have here. This is, this is pretty cool. Um, these are called convertibles. Now let me just explain to you how the, these are very, very lightweight shorts, but they also convert into pants. See, you, you zip these on. It was like, well, why do you need that? Well, if you're starting your hike when it's about 35 degrees, which is what the, the temp was when we start at the very top of the, of the plateau, and, and you're hiking down, and that temperature variance will be about 90 degrees that day, and we don't know exactly what it was, but it's estimated that's what it was, then at a certain point, boom, <laughs> these come off, it's real lightweight, and you put it, put it into your, your backpack, and, and you're going and using these, and then when you get right back up and it's getting cold again at the top, you just zip them back on, all of a sudden you have long pants and holds in the, holds in the warmth, and it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, another thing that you, you have to have in, in the preparation is the right kind of hat. You're not going to wear your, your little ball cap that you wear to the baseball games. I mean, come on, that's a nice to have a ball cap, but this is not what you need. You, you actually need something like this, and this is... Uh, uh, this is actually, you know, this is a hiker's uh, hat. I, I remember when I got these for my, my boys, I, I, I got them, I said, okay, we're going to wear these. And, and all three of them looked at me and said, we're not wearing that, Dad. We're embarrassed, <laughs> right? It's just like, we are not going to wear that dorky thing. I said, like, yes, you will. We fought about it. I won. But uh, I remember, you know, they, they, they all put it on, on and, 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 and as the day went on, when we started getting into the sun, it's interesting how everybody just kind of put them on their head and they were glad. And then they noticed the other cool hikers had them also. And this thing right here, as simple as it may seem, is a lifesaver. It really, really is. It, these work amazing. Not going to be wearing these around downtown Fort Worth. And trust me, I'm not going to have them on the Trinity Trails. But if I'm hiking in the sun, in the heat, you better believe it. But there's also something else kind of cool. This, is, this looks like just an ordinary bandana. But I want to tell you it's not. 
You might think, yeah, you put one of these in your head and you look cool. Now it has nothing to do about looking cool. See, really, the whole thing about hiking is not what you look like. And that's what I had to convince my uh, young man. It's like, it has nothing to do with what you look like. It's all functional. Now, this is not an ordinary bandana. It's actually something that's, that's relatively new on the market. Uh, they were, it was much newer when we were planning our trip three years ago, and I discovered them and, and heard some people say, this is just like, this can be a lifesaver. But these, th this is actually a, a bandana that's, that has some, some beads built into the top of it that absorb water. And what you do is, is during your time in the heat, you, you put this, submerge it in water, and let it absorb as much water as possible and put it on your head. About every, about every 45 minutes or so, you have to do it again because it dries out. But it keeps your head cool, which then keeps your body cool, which helps you to survive. In fact, one of the things that, that they tell you in planning for this, because because this particular, uh, this particular route that we take does follow water most of the way, is that, that you need to, you, you really are supposed to actually get in the water. Get in the water and, and it's very, very cold water, but get in the water, let your body cool down and hike wet. And it just says, if, you know, hiking wet, you'll survive. And it's like, it's just like, don't worry about what you feel like, don't worry about what you think, just do it. We didn't do that because that was like, I thought that was a little too extreme. We saw some trail runners doing it. Trail runners or uh, canyon runners uh, are, are these interesting people, very, very, interesting sect of people that, that like to run in the canyon. They're crazy. They're, they're, they're mostly older people. It's interesting. There are two ladies. They were, um, oh my goodness, Devin, they're probably in their 70s or so, weren't they? There's two older ladies came running past us and like, hi. They're all happy. They're saying hi to us. We can't even breathe. Like, <gasps> and, and, and they came running past us and, and they were on their way and like, man, this is, these are crazy ladies. And, and so, so then a little bit later, they came back in behind us. And well, we thought you passed us. And, and they, were, they were just drenching wet. They were just soaked. And, and they stopped. They said, oh, we're, we're back on the trail. We're going to pass you again now. And, 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 uh, and they said, I just said, well, what did you do? I'm kind of curious. I stopped. And they, they said, oh, we, we, uh, we got in the river because, you know, you have to get into it. You have to get into it. Actually, it's a creek. You have to get into it and, and cool off. She said, if I were you, I would do it because the box is straight ahead. I went, yeah, I know what the box is because I've studied this, but she said, you better get in the water. Bye. And they were that happy and they were gone. And I was like, I'm not getting in the water. <laughs> well, that's, that's the beauty of it. We, we were out there at the Grand Canyon. Um, when we arrived there, we allowed our bodies to acclimate to the altitude. In fact, our first day there, you can put that first picture up there. We, I snapped these pictures of the boys. Everyone's happy. We're all cheerful. Hair is nice. All that kind of stuff. Uh, this is, we're sitting up there. It's cool in the, in the cool of, it's just a, a nice afternoon there, evening, and, and uh, the wind is, is whooping up. It's definitely plenty cool up there. Uh, feels, it's just interesting that you'd feel that kind of weather during the summer at the top of the Grand Canyon or, or at the North Rim, um, getting ourselves ready, getting ourselves prepped, letting our bodies acclimate to the altitude. And another, you know, that, that next picture shows kind of like that the, the very next day where we, were, we went out and we did, we did some, some rim hiking and some light hiking, getting our boots, making sure our boots are well conditioned, ready to go, making sure there weren't any problems with anything. Again, acclimating our systems to the uh, the, the the very high altitude, you know, and the lack of oxygen, making sure that our bodies were up to it so we could head in. And then the next day we headed in. But, but one of the cool things is, is on this particular little stint, uh, actually it's kind of interesting because right back 
behind there, if you're like, like straight back behind where that picture is, there's a, there's a little uh, place that goes right out over the canyon. And that's a little secret spot for me. Uh, you won't be able to find it, trust me. But it's a secret spot at the North Rim that I've taken each of my boys to and I've prayed over them. And so we, we visited that. And this next little picture shows you something that, that was a big surprise to me because we went out there and I said, guys, this is a place where I, I blessed each one of you and I prayed over you and I spoke the blessing of manhood over you when you were 12 years old. And, and it brought back memories to my boys. And, and, uh, and, and then, then the boys said, Dad, and they had this plan. And I tell you, this is the most touching moment of that entire trip. They said, Dad, we want to, we want to pray a blessing over you this time. And I was like, man, my heart melted. I mean, Preston, those are things you get to look forward to. My heart melted as my son said, we want to bless you, Dad. And they laid hands on me and prayed for me. And, and uh, one of them took that little picture and snapped that little picture and sent it to me later. Uh, it's kind of a little surprise picture. I'm telling you, there's nothing Photoshopped there. That's, that's the real deal. Beautiful, beautiful moment, powerful moment. It's just spending time there with my boys at the overlooking the Grand Canyon at that high altitude. But, you know, getting ready for a trip to go down into the canyon and the backcountry and to camp in the backcountry, uh, it takes a lot of planning. We started planning months in advance. There's a lot of reading, podcasts, purchases we had to make. You have to understand you're, you're going to burn double calories when you're down there, so you have to, you have to bring food in. You're not going to go down there shopping. This is not a store. You're, you're, uh, your body will lose about one liter of water per hour, and that's constant. And so you have to constantly be, be adding more water, but you can't pack all that water in. There's, I mean, that's, that's not even possible. Uh, so you have, to, you have to filter water and find out creative ways to, to get the water once you get in there. Uh, there's not a bottled water stops or anything like that. Uh, it's, you have to have permission to get into the backcountry. You, you can't just go on your own. I got my backcountry permit, and uh, my backcountry permit is something that I'm, that I'm really proud of because I, I, I got it. You have to have this in order to get in because you have to tell where you're going to be hiking to and what you're going to be doing and, and all of this. And, and, uh, and, and I, when, I, when I had uh, filed for this, this permit, it was several months in advance, about six months in advance, because if you don't get it in time, you can't get it. Uh, they, I got a call from the National Park Service at, at the Grand Canyon. They called me and they said, uh, Pastor, no, they didn't call me Pastor. They just said, Tim, uh, sir, mister, uh, um, uh, we're reviewing your request for a backcountry permit and we want to talk to you about it. You, you've, you have a rather intense itinerary and we just want to ask you, do you really understand what you're doing here? And, and, and they, they, actually, they actually thought that I'd made a mistake. They said, we just want to make sure that you didn't make a mistake in, in what you planned here. And I said, no, I've not made a mistake. Me. No, I didn't make a mistake. I know exactly what I'm doing. I mean, I mean, good night. But at that point, I even had the full-blown topographical map. I mean, I knew where we were going, okay? I, I knew this thing. I've studied it. I was ready to go and make the trip work for me. And, and so, so I, I, uh, I got the permit in the mail, but then I had to take the permit in and actually get the final approval and the stamp on it before I could go in. So, so that last day after we had prayed at that, that location, came back and went to the main office and the backcountry office and and then they took a look at the permit. I'll just never forget the girl. Uh, she, was, she was probably 22 years old, really nice girl. And I, and, but, but she was well-trained, and I doubt she had ever taken this route. I mean, not many people do. But uh, she, she looked at the permit, and she looked at me, and she said, do you know what you're doing? And I, I said, yes, yes. She said, are, are you really prepared to do this? And I said, yeah. She goes, are you an experienced hiker? I'm like, <laughs> Trinity Trails. I mean, come on. <laughs> 
experienced hiker. Have you ever seen the terrain? I got an experience high, of course. I mean, yeah, I've, I've done more than Trinity Trails, trust me, but, but, uh, but of course I have. I mean, I've never hiked into the canyon and done this, but I mean, at some point you've got to do it. So she looked at me and she just, and, and, I, and she, she said, okay, well, and, and the boys weren't with me. I was kind of glad she looked at me. And she says, well, you have been warned. And she said, I want you to note what's at the very bottom. She said, this is already printed on here. This is an aggressive itinerary, and it is here stated that you are insisting on your itinerary in spite of us trying to say you should not do it. <laughs> I said, I'm a pastor. Like, I got God on my side. <laughs> See, day one is a, was, a, now I had to plan it out. It was a 17-mile trek on day one. It's downhill. Uh, you know, we'd had heavier packs. We'd go from about 35 degrees to maybe about 120 at the, very, at, the, at, the, uh, at the river once we get to the bottom. Estimated that it would take about 12 hours to do the whole thing and get, uh, get all the way up to the campsite. Uh, unfortunately, because of stupid mistakes, it was 19 hours. There were some miscalculations, and I'll talk about that in a second here. Day two, coming out, you're supposed to uh, increase your time by 50 to 100% on coming out of the canyon. Certainly did that. Uh, so we, we left our campsite at 8.30 a.m., I mean, 3.30 a.m. to get back up at the top by 8.30 when, uh, when the sun would be going down because at that point it, become, it could become cold. We didn't want to be stuck near the top of the canyon and with a potential snowstorm, which, we, which I'd personally experienced before at that elevation, so didn't want that to happen. So we wanted to make sure that we were at the top before it, uh, it got dark. Uh, so it was an estimated about 18-hour trek to get ourselves out of the canyon. Uh, we'd be going uphill with lighter packs, so it's going to be easy. You know, I, I, I took a little uh, note of this, is that this is something that was given to me. I had it on my computer, and I pulled it up because I've saved all my files and stuff. It says, the National Park urges special caution. Now, you see, like, hey, they put it in highlighting and red. It's the only thing on the whole deal to hikers during the summer months and telling you about all of this. It says, I like that, I like that the, the, on that third line. It says, these temperatures are beyond unpleasant or uncomfortable. They are, in fact, dangerous. And in all bold, if you fail to factor in the heat into your plans, the results could be tragic. God bless you, you know, that kind of a deal. Those sobering, you kind of sober up a little bit. Another one of the things that they say on this particular trail, well, this, is, this is the most detailed trail, it's the longest trail, uh, the most intense trail that's out there. Uh, it, it says down there, it says, many years of experience have shown that hikers who proceed beyond this point, and that's a certain point that we were definitely going well beyond that point, uh, what they're, they're talking about there. It says, uh, um, during the hottest parts of the day, have a much greater probability of suffering from heat-related illness, injury, or death. And um, <laughs> also, mules are going to be on your trail, so just watch for that. We, we never, I don't think we saw any mules, though. I think they were smart enough to... Did we see any? We never saw any mules. Uh, they were smarter than us. Look at that, and I'll read at the bottom. Under no circumstances should you attempt to hike from the river to the river back in one day. Do not hike during the hottest part of the day. What is the hottest part of the day? I mean, come on, we're Texans. We know the hottest part of the day. What is that? 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. <laughs> so we left at 4 a.m. 
Well, we're, we're heading down and, and it, it does take a little longer to get there than we said, suppose. My, back became, my backpack became super heavy because Ian couldn't carry his pack. So dad now, who was going to be really tough and I was going to carry 45 pounds on my pack. And, and the reason for that, it was so foolish. I was such an idiot. It's because Betsy Price said, oh, Tim, I've hiked the Grand Canyon. She said, she goes, and I did it with a 40 pound pack. And I'm like, I'm not gonna let some woman who's older than me, a woman who's older than me, outdo me. I, if she can do 40, I can do 45. I promise you I did that. That's so stupid. So I have my 45 pack, pound pack, and I'm okay. I'm knowing it's gonna get lighter as I go along. And then, then Ian, two miles in, I can't carry it. I'm about done. So I have to pick up some of his load. Devin and Preston have to pick up some of his load. And now my 45 pound pack is probably closer to about 52, 53. Now it's heavy. Now it's heavy. And when you get her into this one part, it's called the box. The box is by far the most beautiful part of this hike. It really is. It's like a, it's a canyon in the canyon is what it is. There's these super high orange walls. It's just, it's brilliant. It's, it's absolutely stunning to be there. Uh, but but you, you, you walk through the, the box, but, but one of the warnings about the box is because, because it's so narrow and, and during this one part of the day, there is no shade in there and the sun just beats down directly into it. Uh, the, the radiant heat from the, from the canyon walls, the canyon of the canyon walls, can get up to about 140 in that particular area. It's actually the hottest part of the canyon that anyone would ever hike into. And, and we went to that box. It's so gorgeous, so beautiful. We just have to constantly kept stopping to drink and, and try to refresh. And, and we're, we're, uh, we're, we're going through the box and it's about 12, one-ish. And uh, you know, that's, that's, we're in the danger zone. But, but like, well, we know we've got to keep going. We've got to keep, uh, keep putting water in us and doing the right things and taking this and, and just stopping every few minutes, getting ourselves wet, putting this in the water, putting it on our heads, being drenched and going on for a few more uh, a few more steps until we have to do it again. And, and then we were about, uh, about half a mile, and I'd say about a half a mile from, from, the, from a stop. It wasn't our final destination, but it was a stop. And the stop is called Phantom Ranch. And I'm gonna tell you, it's not a resort. Don't think you're gonna go there to the resort. I, I was thinking, this is like a resort, and they probably have, no, they have nothing there. And, and, and about, about half a mile till we get there, we were all in line, and I was at the front. And, and uh, Ian was behind me, Devin was behind him, and Preston was at the rear. And we, that's usually the way that we walked most of the time because, uh, because it's, it's, that's the safe zone. I mean, Big Dad's gonna be up front, I'm gonna be the trailblazer, and, and tough Preston's at the rear. Now, I mean, Preston's not here today, but I just wanna tell you something. He's not as tough as he looks, okay? I just. <laughs> anytime, Devin, you know this, anytime we've done stuff, and who's the first one to like going, I can't do it? Preston, every time, every time. Don't tell him I said that. No, you just go ahead. But, but uh, Preston is, is at the rear, and, and I, but again, he's the big brother, so he can pull up the rear. That means if somebody passes out, he watches. So, so we're, 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 we're going down the pathway. I'm so excited that we're going to have this little resting spot up ahead, and and all of a sudden, we're past the box. We've gone through the super, super hot part, he starts screaming. I'm, I'm serious. Because you, you see, like when you're in that kind of situation, you don't really talk to each other unless it's urgent because it takes energy. And, and he just starts, he goes, ah! He just did that. And he goes, my head is on fire. Remember how like this, that just, that was a scary. 
curious thing. And I, I turned around and looked, and he was like, doing all this stuff. He says, I want to just die. I'm going to give up. I'm going to die now. I'm going to die. Okay, he's not playing. And, and I looked at all the symptoms, looked and saw how he was walking. And at that point, I'm thinking, I know from all of my preparation, we have a very bad heat problem here. And actually, if a person starts doing that and getting delirious and, and their head like feels like it's on fire, that means his brain is swelling. So, uh, I, you know, I just, I, I remember I just dropped my pack and, and I just, I went over to him as fast as I could and the, the boys were, oh man, what's going on? We went over to him and, and, and I, 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 I just, just, I just ripped his hat off and, and I put my hand right on top of his head where this was and totally dry, I mean, it's hot. And I yelled at him. And I just, she says, why are you totally dry? I mean, I yelled, I just yelled. Like, that wasn't very nice. Well, I didn't feel very nice at that moment because I'm realizing his brain is swelling. And I, I, I yelled at him, why are you totally dry? And I'm like, ugh. And, and, like, and, and I had some water on me, just dump water on his head. And, 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 uh, and it's like, let's get over to the creek immediately. We went over there and, and got him in the water and just poured water in. It's like, I'm not thirsty. Yes, you are. You're dying, buddy. And just kept pumping him full of, of whatever. And we, we had to take about a four-hour break there, a four-hour stop. And uh, we had to do it. We, we had to stop and help and aid and rest. It, it, was, a, it was a recoup time. And, and there was a setback. And why did we have that setback? Well, we had the setback because he made a stupid mistake. Because of all the boys, he was the one who was mocking the whole keep your head wet thing. I don't do that in Fort Worth, so I don't know if I need to do that. He was mocking the boundaries, mocking the rules. He violated the boundaries because he thought it was a stupid rule. Now his brain's swelling and he's suffering the consequences and that's a stupid mistake. We do those things though, don't we? See, I, and at that point I had a choice. Yeah, I yelled at him, but I thought putting him down doesn't help anything. I have a choice and we have a choice right now between me and his brothers. We can either shame him and let him walk in shame and pull us all down or we can rescue him, we can build him up and we can simply make him not feel guilty for the setback. Who knew when we were going to be able to get to our campsite at that point? It messed things up. But there's no way we were going to go to the, the route of shame. And I'm telling you, guys, stupid mistakes often result in shame. Shame when you know better. Shame, shame in your own life is this debilitating burden. And it's this obstacle of the blessing of God in your life. Shame, what it does is it ties you and binds you up to your past stupid mistakes. Shame will sabotage your future. We've all made stupid mistakes. We all have all done things that we want to leave behind and, and let go in our past. But, but, but if we don't need, if we don't know how to deal with shame, what it does is it cripples our spirit and it imprisons our souls and will have a negative life, a negative effect on us uh, spiritually, emotionally, even, even physically. We have a little saying that I, I like to say around here at City Life is just this, is just that, that we don't do shame here. We, we don't do that because shame is a tyrant. It's going to extinguish your hope. You know, there, there was a time I've grown up in the church and, and those of you who have or you've been around a long time, <laughs> like me, uh, you, may, you may know this, is that there was a time in the culture of the church when shame kind of ruled. 
It was like this. If you or your family did something wrong, then you basically left the church and you went into hiding. In fact, shame on you was a common phrase that was even heard around church. And, and then it, it was exported from the church into the homes and the families of church folks. And, and if, if you do that, if you say that, if they, I'm just going to say, let's, let's, we're going to stop that stuff. Because shame, atmospheres of shame, that, that, that is jacked up. That's not us. I'll just make it clear. Shame will not rule our church. If you make a choice for shame to not rule your life and your home and your family, then it's not going to rule our church. Because shame, what it does is it takes, it makes the narrow road, this pathway that we're talking about, it makes it more treacherous and even makes it deadly for you. And it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to do shame. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't understand this, but the truth is, is that, that shame isolates us. Shame weighs us down. Shame is like a, a heavy, heavy burden. Shame literally physically makes your face and your head drop and it prevents you from even making eye contact with people. There's good news though. The good news is that we have freedom from shame through the blood of Jesus Christ. But if you allow your past sin, mistakes, whatever, to control your current frame of mind and how you feel and how you think, then shame is ruling you. And whether your past indiscretions were years or maybe even decades ago, or even if it was last night, it's in the past and there is now power available to you to break the bondage of that sin and shame. Paul says it best. He says the wages of sin, which is like the paycheck, sin's paycheck is death. That's a, that's a really strong statement. And when you think of it, you have to think of it this way. It, it really is obvious because when we are sinning, we are actually pushing ourselves toward our own destruction. We are creating our own paycheck and signing it. But the opposite of that is, is grace. And grace offers us hope. Grace is this free gift. Grace is something we can't earn, and you don't deserve it. But you just ask for it, and you get it. Paul says it this way in Romans 5. See, we, all, we, we like to, you know, it's important to understand the wages of sin is death, but there's more to this. It says those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, two things, the grace and the gift of righteousness, what are you going to do? You're going to be a loser in life, right? <laughs> no. That's, that's pretty cool. It says you're going to reign in life through Jesus Christ. Grace brings life. Sin and shame bring death. And then it also says that righteousness is a gift. You see, gift of righteousness. You just basically receive it by faith. It's, it's not something that you can work yourself up toward. Well, I have to do all these righteous things to be righteous. That's not what the Bible says. Scriptures say it's a gift. A gift. A gift. That's why I'm saying, guys, we have to live by faith, not by shame. You belong to Jesus you, you, you don't have to continue wallowing in your old shame and, 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 and you don't have to keep beating yourself up. And some of you, you are miserable to live with yourself because of shame and you just keep heaping it on yourself. You're saying, I'm just not good enough. You're lying to yourself saying, well, I'm just not righteous. That is a lie because you are righteous if you've accepted Jesus' free gift of righteousness through grace. He wants you to have that gift. He, he wants you to break free of shame. 
I love what the Bible promises us. Look, look at this scripture. This is so awesome. Psalm 92 says, the righteous, and again, it's not about the people who work themselves up to be righteous or do a list of things. Righteousness is a gift. It's just, so if you receive the gift of righteousness, then you're righteous. Now, now look at it. It says, the righteous will do what? Flourish like a palm tree. You're gonna flourish in the courts of God. Those of you who are older and those of you who are not yet, you still have something to look forward to because if you're righteous, you're going to bear fruit in old age. <laughs> you will stay fresh and green proclaiming this. And here's going to be your motto. You're just going to simply say this. The Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. You understand that some people's version of righteousness is to say that I am strong and there is no wickedness in me. Actually, it's, it's not, not quite that way. You're not God. He is God. Our righteousness is in him. We're righteous in Jesus. The Lord is upright. That, that, that's, I, I, I will thrive when I recognize this and say this. He's my rock and my righteousness there is in him. There is no wickedness in him and that's where I am right now. See, all these blessings come with this. And if you're, living, if you're living under shame and condemnation, then you're not flourishing. You're not reigning. If you're living in shame, you're not ruling. You're being ruled. If you're living in shame, you're not experiencing dominion. You're actually being dominated and oppressed. Sometimes we think we owe it to ourselves to feel bad or put ourselves down because of things that we've done or experienced. And, and I don't want us to. Now, again, I, I'm not saying at all that we should take sin lightly. You know, you know me better than that. But I am saying that... There's real hope in Jesus, there's real grace, there's real mercy, and there's real righteousness. In fact, in the backcountry, you can't even survive on the treacherous paths if you're burdened with shame. And that's why we made the choice right up front, regardless of how stupid Preston's mistake was, we were not going to shame him because it would destroy him and it would destroy our team. It's funny because on the way back out near the, near the end, it, it was a, such a long journey. And, and on the way out, we were, we were almost two miles from the top. We were now at the place where the air is getting very thin and it's chilly and, and we're on our way out. We wanted to get out before nightfall. And, uh, and we were taking our last long break and, and we, we took, our, took our break and made ourselves some food and make sure we, we got ourselves well rested. And, and, and as, we were, as we were there at that place, uh, Devin, Devin, who actually is the one who's eager to go. Let's, let's go, let's go, let's go. I mean, he, he was always the one who was doing that. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's get moving, let's go get moving. And I was trying to pace the group, and he's always, let's go, let's go, let's go. He uh, had been doing that the whole trip, and, and I just said, you know, don't push us, don't push us. And other things, you know, we had all these other rules too. Don't do this, don't do that. One is like, don't jump off of big things, just don't. Well, he was sitting up on this boulder about this high. We just finished eating and everything, and, and we were done. Our stuff was packed back up, and uh, but we were just resting still. Just Again, now we're acclimating to altitude. And uh, he was sitting there and he just, he said, all right. He just decided he was in charge. If you know Devin, he'll do that sometimes. And he goes, all right, let's go. And he just took a big jump off the boulder and bam, hit the ground and boom, he went, ah, and started rolling on the ground. Now there were other people, other hikers around at this stop because it's, it's a, you know, it's a big stop. And, and, uh, and they were like laid out and they just kind of lifted their heads up and looked over and went, oh, I mean, nobody's going to help us. And he is, he's rolling. And I was like, What's going on? And I went over and, and, and pulled his boot off and started looking at his ankle just whoop, swelling up. 
At that point, I was like, well, I'm glad I have my one little ice pack I brought with me. I broke it and taped it up to his ankle and he sat there and elevated it and gave him a bunch of anti-inflammatories and said, now we get to sit for another hour <laughs> while your ankle gets to feeling better. Devin limped out of the canyon. Uh, there was definitely pain there. He was hurt, but he made it out. And, but the thing is, is that when that happened, at this point, I was like, yeah, okay, that is a stupid mistake. But at this point, it's like, what are you going to do? I, 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 I can't say anything else to him. So what happened to me is I was a little delirious, but I just started laughing. And I, I couldn't stop. Remember me laughing? And, and I remember Devin at one point goes, it's not funny. It's like, I know it's not funny, but it's hilarious. And, 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 and Ian's like, dad, it's not nice to laugh at and make fun of him. I'm not making fun of him. I'm just laughing at us. This is ridiculous. This is the craziest thing ever. And, and so I'm just laughing. The other hikers are thinking, oh, what an evil man mocking the boy. <laughs> I didn't care. But we were laughing. And it was just like, we, the other boys started to laugh a little bit. Tevin didn't. But, but it, was, it was just, what are you going to do? You can even, you can make him feel bad. Or you can just laugh it off and move forward. You see, Solomon says this, the, the, the path of life, which I like to call adventure highway, leads upward for the prudent to keep them from going down to the realm of the dead. It's this upward path. It's following Jesus. It's not looking over your shoulder and trying to address what you can't change, which already happened. It's faith in Jesus, faith in grace, faith in his, his mercy and his free gift of righteousness. You guys, you don't have to wear your shame anymore. Live by faith, not by shame. You belong to Jesus. Shame's like a prison, but the prison door is open. <laughs> that means you get to walk out. You get to walk out in grace and righteousness. See, shame destroys this way. Take a look at this graphic. It, it, it starts with sin, which leads to guilt. And, and that's where he's like, you, you've, you've got to get freedom right there. Because if you move on, I'm telling you, the rest of this is not from God. Shame, condemnation, and death. That is not God's plan for you. Shame leads to guilt. Guilt leads to shame. Sh uh, shame then leads to, to condemnation. And condemnation takes you to death. It's the opposite of the path of life. Some of you are living in condemnation right now. Would you, would you want to live in a building that is marked condemned? And if a building is condemned, that means it is unfit for use. That means it's disqualified. That means the building is only good for one thing, and that is demolition. Unfortunately, that's the way a lot of people live their lives, in a state of, in the house of condemnation. Because, and it makes you feel useless. It makes you feel like not even existing. It makes you feel unfit for, for even serving God. I'm not good enough. You don't feel, you'd feel unforgiven. You feel unworthy and you feel unlovable. You're condemned. And when you're condemned, you don't have freedom. You don't even feel like you have the right to be happy. You just feel disqualified from everything. I'm gonna tell you, when people say shame on you, and they reject you. What they're, what they're doing is they're trying to make you feel the harsh pain of their non-approval of you or what's in your past. Have you ever had someone put shame on you? Most of us have. You ever had shame spoken over you? Spoken over you as this is your state of being. Shame, I put it on you. I put shame on you. Listen, guys, shame is not from God. The words shame on you, get it out of your vocabulary. 
Make a pledge now. You will never repeat those words again because it's the sneer and it's a condescending look. It's an attitude of superiority. It's actually disgust glaring back at you. Shame is not from God. And I don't care who the person is who's hurling shame over you. And maybe they've come from a religious tradition, like I explained earlier, where that was, a, that was the custom. Well, well, it's not the custom. It's not right. We don't do things that are customary if it's anti-biblical. Does that make sense? Because we're a church. We just say we're Bible-based. We're, we're going to do what the Bible says. See, shame is something that you carry. It's, it's, it's a weight. It's not just an emotion. It's a curse. Shame is the opposite of the blessing of God. Now, to get rid of shame, even if it was spoken over you, we have to understand the full power of what Jesus did for us and, and make the choice that you're going to move into the blessing of God instead of living under the shame. The shame of your stupid mistakes, the shame of your sin. If you're living in shame, you're living far short of what God's planned for you. Because all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Fall short. Fall short. <laughs> that means... You're small and you're reduced. Shame makes you go down. You're reduced. You, you can't walk through life boldly like that. In fact, the message version of the Bible says that uh, shame is, is actually often referred to as a dark cloud. And I like that because it's true. It's like this image of, of a Texas storm hanging over your head, getting ready at any moment to zap you with lightning and, or pelt you with another um, dose of spring Texas hail. The, the, the dark cloud of shame needs to go over our lives. How do we do it? We simply live by faith, not by shame. Understanding this, you belong to Jesus. Take a look at John 3.16. John 3.16, most popular scripture in the Bible. I absolutely love it, and I think it should be the most popular scripture in the Bible, but we do a huge disservice to ourselves and others when we don't understand the full nature of what's there. We often say this part, quote this part, we see it everywhere. Most of you know this by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know the whole thing, right? How many of you know 17 and 18? See, because the thought doesn't end there. Yes, there's salvation in Jesus. Yes, there's freedom in Jesus. But see, the world perceives Christians as being people who condemn them. And that is so far from the truth because that's not Christ. You can't be Christian and be condemnatory toward others. It doesn't work. Look at this. It says, for God did not send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to do what? Did Christ come to condemn? If we are Christians, Christians, do we condemn? We can't. But to save the world through him, that's John 3, 17. Look, 18, it keeps going. <laughs> it says, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. There's the truth right there. Bam, slammed on. Take that one home. <laughs> you believe in Jesus. You're not condemned. But whoever doesn't believe in Jesus, well, they're actually already condemned. They've been condemned from the beginning. They actually invited the condemnation upon themselves because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. John 3, 16, 17, 18. Read it, take it home. Look at it word for word. So bottom line, the question is, okay, then it all comes back to Jesus. So do you believe in Jesus? I'm not talking about did he exist or did he work miracles or was he really on this earth or was he really 100% God or the dad? No, do you believe Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? And if you believe in Jesus and you're going to say yes, then, 
The question I'd have to ask you is, why are you walking in condemnation? Why are you walking around in shame? Why are you so concerned about what everyone else thinks about you instead of believing in Jesus, the man who knows the truth about you? And the truth about you is, when you have requested forgiveness of your sin, he has no recollection of any sin. He has no recollection of any misdeed or any failure in your life. <laughs> Jesus says, I have come that you, my friend, may have life and have life to the full. He wants that for you. He doesn't want you to have sin, shame, and condemnation, and death. I tell you what. As you're walking on this pathway, there are going to be lots of attempts of the enemy to hijack your progress and get you down into this death spiral. Sometimes it may even come during a time of abundance. See, Satan can't stand it when you're experiencing the goodness of God, and so he finds a way to get shame into the equation, get you to make a stupid mistake, like, aha, look at you, shame you. <laughs> and it's funny, because when I was a little kid growing up in church, we had this little saying we always said. I don't hear it anymore, but I, I, I remember it. In fact, I remember writing it in my Bible, me and my best friend. Uh, we wrote it in our Bibles, and John McKenzie, he's a pastor locally here, wrote it in our Bibles together one Sunday when we were about 12, 13 years old, and it's this. It says, when Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. I like that because it's future-oriented. Satan has a future of eternity of hell. <laughs> so Satan is gonna get you to try to look back. He's gonna try to get others to make you look back. No, I think we need to stay future focused. Let's stay focused on our future. Hey, it's okay to even glance over at Satan's future. Hey, Satan, by the way, uh, you do have a future coming as well. Because shame, what it does is it causes you to lash out and hide and build up walls. And you don't want to go to church because everybody knows. Oh, everybody knows. I can't go. You don't want to go to a public place because somebody's going to see me. Somebody's going to say something. And you're constantly assessing yourself based upon what you think other people think about you. And then you start rehearsing this script. The script is what you think, they think, and then you've written your own prescription for condemnation. Break it and stop it. Live by faith, not by shame. You, my friend, belong to Jesus. Refuse to be ruled by the opinions and the attitudes of other people. You're free. You're forgiven through the grace of Jesus Christ, and you are loved beyond measure. I just encourage you to flourish in your freedom because that is God's plan for you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1, no condemnation. Doesn't say you won't have temptation. Doesn't say that circumstances or people are gonna try to pull you down, whether they mean it well or mean it poorly, but there is no condemnation in the abundant life in Christ, and he wants to break the power of shame in your life, and he wants to start it today. Because God can't even remember your mistakes and your sin. So why are you rehearsing it over and over in your mind? Live by faith, not by shame. You belong to Jesus. I have no movement at this time. Leaders, I'd love for you to pray. Everyone, will you please just close your eyes and focus internally for just a moment. And if you want to know this Jesus that I talk about, you want a clean slate, you're ready to live your life with a renewed sense of purpose, It'll give you an opportunity to respond. And, and, and if you want to be included in this closing prayer, and if you want to ask Jesus to wash the sin and the shame out of your life, I'm just going to ask you to do one thing. And it's to act by faith and say, I'm taking my first act of faith right now, Pastor. I'm just going to lift my hand and say, 
I want to pray with you. I'm not doing shame. And when you do that, I'm going to connect my faith with you and embrace you with this prayer as well. Would you lift your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be free from shame. I give it up today. Thank you. Thank you. I am moving forward with Jesus. I choose to believe in Jesus. I want everybody to stand right now. I want you guys to stand. Stand up. I want you to all pray these words with me. Come on, pray these words with me from the bottom of your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. You are the Son of God. Wash away my sin with your blood. Today I give up my past. I give up my shame. <laughs> I break out of condemnation and I embrace the upward path of life in you. I choose freedom. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. For more information about how you can get involved with City Life locally, text CONNECT to 41411. Again, that's CONNECT to 41411. Or visit us online at citylifecenter.org. We would love to meet you.